So you're in your last week of um, <laughs> of your last week of rock and rolling yeah. at Hampstead. I can't even it, work out how many we've got left. What day is it today? Wednesday. Yes, so we're recording one, on a two, Wednesday. Three, four, five, six shows left. Six shows. What left. happens in the last week of something? Is it? Is it? Do you kind of start to get this anticipation of sadness at leaving it? Or no, it's interesting because I think the body and the brain do slightly different things. <laughs> right. So the body. Lots of us are sort of battling lurgy because I think the body started to go, yeah. oh, okay, we don't need quite as much adrenaline as we perhaps did. And so there's there's a lot of sort of swelling of glands. Um, and, <laughs> right. but it's, but and it is January. When it is January, which is, glands. yeah, absolutely. And so we're, de- we're sort of slightly physically crawling, but mentally and psychologically and um, emotionally, sort of clutching on to the last few days of being together because that has genuinely one of the best experiences of my working life, really, because I don't know, I just think it's such a random sort of sociological project, sometimes putting together a theatre company. And you cannot, even with the best intentions, predict what that will be like and how people will react to each other. And then you throw in the pressures of whatever story it is that they're telling. And you just don't know how it's going to go. And it may be up and down. It may be glorious at times. It may be fractious towards the end. But I genuinely just love this group mm. so much and and love being on stage with them. And it feels very, like, balanced in, in you know, the, the, the energy that everybody brings. Like, it's like if you had a, a group of 10 wizards, they'd have equal-sized jars yeah. of powder to throw into the cauldron <laughs> i can't think of a better analogy That's very good but, but like yeah it. It, it just yeah it's it just is, glorious yeah i've always had the, uh, this kind of um um idealized notion of theater companies partly because i grew up reading uh sort of books about backstage life you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. Field and, and uh lorna hill and um and I, I always had this idea of, the, you know, this happy band, this happy little troop of yeah. people touring the country in terrible conditions and bonding together. And um, But it is interesting, isn't it, that, you know, some groups really stick together and some groups don't. I was talking to Diana Quick, friend of the pod, yeah. um, the other day, and she was saying that one show that she was in, they all still um, send WhatsApp messages to each other as a group that they are all still in touch with each other as a group and you know she is an amazing sort of collector of people from everyone she's worked with but I thought it was really interesting that there was one particular group that just have stuck yeah um and yeah it's it's interesting because and and you can't predict how that will go at all you know that's just life I was thinking in this rather random episode of a as the actress said to the critic, with me, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, the actress, Nancy Carroll. Um, about the um, Oscar nominations, which have come out this week and about which I have views. Uh, but one of the things, again, that I noticed is that the Oppenheimer yeah. um, gang, they all apparently continue to communicate with each other on WhatsApp, you know. Oh, really? And they've obviously really, really bonded, except they had this brilliant... Um, line that uh, they can't include Christopher Nolan, the director, because he doesn't have a phone, which is really? just kind of a brilliant insight that's into the mind of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I mean, that's quite an achievement, isn't it? I mean, you have to, at some point, think practically, you know, a director of a massive movie needs yeah. to be got hold of. But, yeah. So how does that work? I haven't dug into it. I just saw, I saw the headline, but presumably they make him communicate. His wife is the producer, Emma Thompson, 
Thomas. Right. And I suspect she does a lot of the communication. Oh, okay, okay. But it is extraordinary with Nolan because he seems so technologically, seems so much thinking about the future, so much, you know, a kind of man of the 21st century. And the idea that he wouldn't have a phone yeah. is extraordinary. But it's amazing how quick we were talking about this the other day about the, when we all had pages. Oh, I mean, yes. that wasn't that long ago. I mean, maybe it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But, it, but it, you know, and how extraordinary that was, that you'd get some little sort of Star Trek-style message coming into you and you had to go to a payphone and answer. Yeah. You know, and I think I've back. said before that when I started as Artsitra on the Telegraph, critics had only just really stopped coming into the office with handwritten reviews, which they gave to a secretary. Really? I mean, the Telegraph was quite slow in adopting technological change. So they gave it to the secretary and she typed it up and yeah. then it went into the paper. I mean, extraordinary. Yeah. And then, so by the time I, when I started in journalism, it was typewriters. Yeah, yeah, And you yeah. put pieces of paper in a tube that got sucked up into the top of the building <gasps> and went and was created, went into hot metal was made into That's amazing. a physical thing. And and now, you know, I can sit on the top of a bus and write a review if I want to yeah. and send it to um, Alex at Watson stage and it miraculously can appear. Yeah. And I don't feel I'm that old. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And it, but it is amazing. It's like you sort of, we've made a leap and then suddenly we had suddenly found the energy to sprint to the next milestone yeah. in terms of the way that that, little bit of progress has, has happened and I sort of think I remember years and years ago we were talking about David Hockney before we started recording weren't we and um, when I was at art school in Leeds going to an exhibition of his in Yorkshire where he grew up and so we're going back some years but it was about a celebration I mean he had lots of beautiful paintings as well but there was a his, his sort of message was the celebration of the fax machine because he felt oh, it was a yes. return to letter writing yeah. and about the art of letter writing. And and I'm a great fan of the Royal Mail. I, I love post and sending things. And, and, yeah, I just think there's something so romantic about it. One of my first, first sort of love affairs, we used to write to each other by return post yes. many, many years ago. I just think it's glorious. And I just remember that exhibition and... And how, you know, the facts were so extraordinary. Yeah. And the idea that something could print, you know, your actual writing and send it across the country yeah. and whatever. And yeah. I mean, that's... One of the many things I admire about Hockney, and I, I, I love him really as much as any living artist, is that he, he's always ridden the wave of technological change. Yeah. So that, you know, his latest exhibition has been paintings that he created on an iPad. Yeah. And he's developed technology within the iPad that he, you know, can make really kind of sophisticated work. And I I think it's wonderful, really. You know, he was so into Polaroids and yes. all of that and created all those wonderful Those beautiful collages. Cubist things with yeah. Polaroids. I remember those. It, it, it's lovely. an extraordinary quality as an artist not to, not to get stuck to keep on and on um, creating yeah. um, different things. And I, I, yeah, I love Hulk. Well, I mean, that's the point. That's how art progresses, isn't it? That, that technology throws up a different prism. And so the actual making of art, the, the personal expression of art in any form is challenged by technology yeah. or supported by technology or has a conversation with technology. And so the two are two sides of the penny really in that way and you think about where impressionism came from it was because suddenly photography meant that painting could be an expression rather than you know a direct representation of something because mm. there was another way to do that suddenly yeah yeah 
And that, you know, and that is why Nolan. Uh, returning to my theme, is why Nolan's so. Um, it is so surprising that he hasn't got a phone, unless Killian Murphy's just been sort of slightly yeah. mischievous and suggesting that he has. But what I what I I think we'll return to the Oscar nominations a bit nearer the Oscars themselves, which were in March. But I my my feeling I felt very depressed this week yeah. about the Oscar nominations. So I thought I would just talk about it a bit. Oppenheimer is a brilliant film. Yeah. You know, technologically it is astonishing. Yeah. And in a cinema, you know, in the central section where they develop the bomb it's is is just overwhelming it's got this kind of sense of the use of silence and noise and the visual and every bit of the power of cinema to tell its story yeah it's great yeah and I it wouldn't be my choice for 13 Oscar nominations but I'm not knocking Oppenheimer as a film yeah what really bothers me though about the Oscar nominations this week is that I feel that it's just gone back to asserting Hollywood's sort of as a boys club somehow right and I may be wrong but Barbie which you know is an equally brilliant clever film and you know remarkably did brilliantly at a box office yeah Greta Gerwig took something that could have been shocking it could have just been a sort of um you know an advert for barbie and yeah. turned it into this witty clever f- lively examination yeah very of... subtly politicized i mean you know to make it that you know to keep it light to keep the actual message light i mean is genius so really. clever yeah and it could have been nothing and it really is something yeah and margot robbie was producer and star of that gives an amazing performance um and it has been ill rewarded with nominations yeah and you know gerwig is not nominated as director margot robbie is not nominated as best actress and as ryan gosling who is nominated for his wonderful performance of Ken points out. Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to play Ken without them. And yeah. so the uh, you know the you, you kind of really do feel that irony is dead. Yeah. That the you know the main sort of acting nomination yeah, is yeah. for Ryan Gosling for yeah. the you know for Ken who came into the film and realizes that you know men do rule the world and it, it's guys extraordinary it really is extraordinary and I you know hats off to Ryan Gosling that he said I'm I I'm really glad to be nominated but I am appalled that you yeah, know, yeah 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 me um the real creators of it haven't been nominated and I and I feel that, you know, the sort of sledgehammer with Oppenheimer. I mean, Oppenheimer's lots of things, but it isn't really a film that likes women very much. Yeah. So I felt kind of vaguely depressed by that. I very rarely get depressed by the Oscar nominations. Yeah. But I always usually think, oh, it's just, you know, interesting and fun. But I, know, I have but it, felt... It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, we, that every time you get a sense of, oh, maybe things have changed fundamentally, you know, in which... If we if we living if we get to a place if we are in a place if we're even close to a place that is a real meritocracy, then if there is the odd year when it is male dominated or female dominated or dominated by any, you know, person, age, theme, whatever, it ought not to matter. Yeah, and that's the reality. Yes, because then it should be random. Yeah, because you know the process of creativity globally or in the western world 
should in some level, or is in on some level, a random, because who knew that Christopher Nolan and uh, Greta Gerwig were going to make movies yes. about such opposing themes yes. in the same year? And so there is a random quality to that. Yeah. The fact that we're so sensitive to it still, yeah. and it needs to be talked about still, means that we haven't reached that true meritocracy stage. There yeah. is... You know, hence making a film like Barbie, which has that very clear message, which is that there is still an imbalance and it doesn't take much to feel that we've regressed in some way or that actually that 10 steps forward and 15 steps back feeling is is very real and palpable. And I, I mean, the message of Oppenheimer, you know, which is that, you know, once you pop your Pringles, you you know... There's nothing you can do about it. The yes. bomb has been created and how, however much he campaigned or apologised yeah. for his creation for the rest of his life and bore that guilt for the rest of his life, he did pop the Pringles and we can't ever yeah. go back. Yeah. You know, and yes, okay, in his head he thought by creating a bomb of such capability of extraordinary destruction that it would somehow enforce peace for the fear yes. of ever using that. That's an important message, particularly when you've got people who threaten to press buttons all over the world being given far too much power. So the message of Oppenheimer is very, very relevant. Mm. And in a way, that's a separate discussion to how big a part the women play in that story. Yes. and But equally... Award ceremonies as ostentatious and as important and powerful as the Oscars sort of need to possibly wear the captain hat in terms of well, you, giving yeah. people permission to feel that they can and that their you know their stories are important and the voices are heard and celebrated. Yeah, that's no, the and difference, I isn't it? I mean, it is different. And I, as nuanced. I say, we might return to it and uh, and talk about the other films, but I think it was because I think why it is kind of very significant this year is that you did have that summer of Barbieheim. Yeah, the pink summer of the bomb. All these little girls turning up and going, oh, I don't think this is for me. Yeah, no, so, and, and the fact is, you know, having had Barbie Heimer, you suddenly get yeah. Oppenheimer. So you've yes, lost you're absolutely that right. other side of a whole conversation about what films are about. And, and you know, and, and Gerwig's achievement in, in uh, she has essentially done everything that could be asked of her. She made a living, breathing thing of a doll. She made an argument of a doll. Yeah, she yeah. wrote the most amazing screenplay, which, you know, I hope she does get. Nom- uh, she has been nominated for. I hope she wins for. She also made billions of dollars. She is the biggest grossing film of the summer. And yet still... She, though though Barbie has been nominated as best film, she has not been nominated as best director. And I find that that's the bit that really sort of gets me. Yeah, and that Margot yeah. Robbie, I think, you know, it is tricky with best actress, but it's the kind of performance that is, is too effortless. It looks too easy what she does. Yes. And I think didn't get noticed. But I'm less worried in a sense about that than the treatment of Gerwig. And also the other thing, you know, just, you know, there is... Uh, there was a film called Past Lives, which is the most um, astonishing, um, beautiful love story, and which everybody hoped would kind of be, get lots of nominations, and again hasn't. You right. know, and it's just it feels like business as usual, and I think that's that's marginally, you know, not that the Oscars ever 
show anything. There'll be thousands of articles between now and uh, March saying all the great films that didn't win an Oscar. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the, there's something about that, just the shift back that feels feels dismaying, really. Yes. Um, and I, I, yeah. But, the you know, there is an argument, just to play devil's advocate, that outside of awards season the effect and the ripple effect and getting young people and young girls interested in, you know, movie making or storytelling and that you can take something light and pink and frothy and actually use it to create something really fantastically witty and brilliant and about making your message very clear without anger. You know, that's another thing, you know, protest comes in, in all forms. Yeah. And we're so, um, particularly at the moment, there is so much anger in the world. The idea of creating such a brilliant movie that is so clear in what it's trying to say, but using wit, yeah. is, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And that, that hasn't gone, if it, yeah. even if it doesn't take home loads and loads of awards, it hasn't gone unnoticed and there will be a generation of girls who are empowered by it. I hope so. I do hope that. And I, I, hope, they, I'm, I hope I'm yeah, not yeah. being a bit no, Pollyanna no, think, about no, it. No, I think it's good that you're Pollyanna. And, uh, I should say that Nancy's saying all this while wearing a pink jumper. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> obviously it's empowered her. But I also think, I also hope they will go and watch, you know, Celine Song's um, Past Lives, which is the most sort of delicate um, understated bit of filmmaking, yeah, um, and and recognise that that too is a, you know a masterpiece, and uh, it, it it it's an interesting time. And actually, the other thing, so the other thing that I I have been thinking about this week is um, uh, which I thought I'd just bring up, fling at you, yeah. is Taxi Driver, because right. one of the uh, Taxi Driver nineteen seventy five introduced us more or less to Jodie Foster. She'd been acting since she was two. Yeah. And she'd been in um, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore the previous year. But I think everybody sort of became conscious of her when, um, and she was Oscar nominated for her performance as the sort of teenage prostitute in Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. And um, I've been watching, so and she's been nominated again, which is actually having said my negative feelings about the Oscars. Yeah. um, One of the plus feelings is it a film called Nyad yes which, is, which I've seen which amazing amazing yeah and both of those performances Annette Benning and Jodie Foster have been nominated yeah. for best actress and best supporting Brilliant. actress which is really good news isn't it and yeah. that is surprising yeah I felt that was tick yeah absolutely again you know because it's it, it's a true story and they're extraordinary performances and it's interesting that at the end of the movie it, it includes footage of the of the real women which was an extraordinary relationship yeah. but also just about human endurance um you know and and again you know that it's entirely based on reality yeah. but it, but but the story is sort of mad it is mad it's about a marathon swimmer we should say so it's about um, a marathon swimmer yeah. who has enjoyed um, huge success, um, called Nyad, uh, yeah. who has enjoyed huge success as a, a teenager and has broken all the marathon records, but she's never managed to swim from Florida to Cuba. 
Yeah. And in her 60s, she decides that she's going to do this, even though it's always been a mad ambition that lots of younger swimmers have failed. It's a distance beyond anything anyone can think of in terms of how long she has to stay in the water. And she decides to do it. And Annette Bening plays Nyad and Jodie Foster plays her best friend because it's also a film essentially, I think, about friendship. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, in itself quite rare. And they're both... And love, actually. And and the the nature of when, you know, uh, romantic love can become platonic or that, you know, that those slightly blurry lines are okay. We don't have to clarify them. It's just you have a love and attachment to somebody and that's enough to keep... The idea of them not being in your life is, is... too much to bear that's that, that seemed to be yes yes it, i think that's it, it wasn't you, more complicated than yeah. that they just they were in each other's lives and they yeah. needed each other on some level and and i think yeah and i think the other thing that's quite remarkable about it, it is that it's about um a woman who is not very pleasant i mean yeah. she is very <laughs> admirable yes. but she drives everyone potty and yeah. benning plays her with this kind of complete lack of vanity not just kind of physical vanity but also kind of emotional vanity because she is absolutely willing to show you how much you would have disliked this person yeah, at points yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I think that's kind of another I am glad that you know it's doing it's got some recognition because it seemed to be quite an unusual yeah movie yeah, from that yeah, point yeah. of view sort of quite emotionally naked Yes, yeah, totally. And Foster, I mean, so I have been watching, I just want to talk a bit about Foster. I've been watching her both in Nyad right. and also in True Detective. Have you? I haven't caught that yet. Well, you've been working, Nancy. You yeah. haven't been. Sorry. <laughs> we'll be emerging, <laughs> emerging from but it. But when you week. do watch it, it will be a treat because yeah. um, she's been, I mean, I do think Foster is an absolute heroine. Yeah. That um, she's done a lot of directing recently, which means that you sort of forget what a presence she is on a screen. Yeah. And she, in these two performances, so in True Detective, which is brilliant, though quite frightening and quite graphic. Right. I mean, the, there are image in it. It's, images in it that sort of sear the eye yeah um but it's brilliant but there again performances sort of without vanity and 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 with richness of character you know so in true detective she is sort of grumpy difficult clever yeah um quick to take offense fond of having affairs with married men yeah um horrid to her stepdaughter and what i'm amazed with foster is how on a screen she's so alive yeah and that you just she doesn't she doesn't seem to be doing anything and yet she just walks into those parts and makes them so multi-layered yeah 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 and to see her do that as an older actress having watched her as a child actor yeah to see it sort of carrying through i think it's a great great privilege really yeah she's extraordinary and i think there is something very clever and admirable about people who are able to protect their private lives yeah. completely in a way that they, you know, they literally say to the world, no disrespect, I'm just going to stay over here and do my yeah. thing. I hope that's OK, but I'm just I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just going to live my life. And that and and which she's always done. Yeah, but she? but with yeah. no like, yeah. you know, world bugger off. It's, it's very much. Is that OK? I'm just yeah. going to do that yeah. quietly. Get on with it. 
And so she's got, there, there seems to be a quietness about her and that, and that gives her that stillness, but, you know, incredibly vulnerable intelligence in her eyes. And I think she always had that, but, but that intensity seems to be allowed to be even more tense because the mystery that she then holds on to in her yeah. stillness, the juxtaposition, the duality, the, the whatever it is, the yin-yang of, the, of that Im- intense vulnerability and truth with that still yeah. mystery and privacy around her actual being, which, you know, is only possibly intensified because we have no idea who she is in the world. But we've seen her for so long. Yeah, and so, yeah. it's an extraordinary achievement to have both. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if that's part of it, you know? And Yes, I wonder that. I was going to ask you... So I was thinking that, that there is something, there is something quite remarkable about seeing somebody who is infinitely familiar and yet performing in ways that are different. So DiCaprio actually is another one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of my favourite films nominated for the Oscars is Killers of the Flower Moon. And he, uh, directed by Scorsese, in which he gives an unnominated performance as um, a man of immense stupidity and pride and selfishness. So he, um, but also intense charm. So he uses all the qualities that we've again seen on screen since he was a teenager to create something kind of, again, very multi-layered. You know, it's playing against all the things that we think we know of him. Yeah. And I was going to ask you whether you thought there is something about child actors who do make a career who, who carry on whether whether there is sort of whether you think as a professional that there's sort of something different about them whether they bring something whether in their they're kind of that they've lived in this place yeah yeah whether it brings something different well it's interesting isn't it I mean because there are so many different versions of that story in terms of you know how they are discovered, what they are discovered in, whether the vehicle that they're discovered in propels them into the most extraordinary fame or people who are given Oscars at the age of 12 or whatever it is and what that does to you and whether you're protected from that in some way. I remember Stephen Daldry talking about Jamie Bell and wanting to protect him during Billy Elliot. You know, he felt responsible for allowing him the sort of protective space around his childhood that that, that even though he'd sort of harnessed that quality that he had you know to the end of making a brilliant movie with him in but he he realized that the dangers of that and so took it on upon himself to take care of him yeah and I and I don't know what the result is. But well, well, but did he, uh, I do. Jamie Bell, yeah. of course, is another person who seems to have gone on not only to sort of um, grow up into a very sort of balanced, yeah. nice person, but to build an astonishingly good career. Yeah. And is now BAFTA nominated yeah. for his role in All of Us Strangers, which yeah. is this astonishing um, Andrew Hay film about um, starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mascal, in which... Um, Jamie Bell plays Andrew Scott's father, yeah, yeah. who he encounters when they're there. It's quite hard to explain, but he go he imagines him being there, yeah, and then rebuilding their relationship. Yes, not as when Andrew Scott is not a child but a man. So yeah, this thing, and um, Jamie Bell gives again, uh, you know, this incredibly sort of sensitive um, 
interesting performance. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, and you look at him and you think that's the boy of Billy Elliot. Yeah. And that's in your brain. You can't get it out of your brain just as you can't get Jodie Foster as, as Clarice Starling out of yeah. your mind. You know, th- th- those performances become part of how you see them and, and yeah. sort of do give a kind of depth to Absolutely, everything but I th- that goes on subsequently. I mean, I think in terms of casting, we have every sort of, if we're lucky enough to work for throughout our adult life you know like writers like painters that we go through phases we have eras well you know for want of a better word because we change our skin changes and I think that's true creatively you know that you and if you're lucky enough in some ways to start that very very young you know it, it it all sort of feeds it into who you become and what you want to become and what you want to carry with you of positive experiences or what informs any negative or yeah. less positive, you know, um, experience informs how you move forward. I mean, all of that is part of the mix. I think in terms of how you balance who you are in the world, it sort of depends on who is protecting you. Yeah. Because I think, and again, we talked about this before, about what recognition does to your brain and how Mm. it's it's quite hard to quantify because we were talking about artists who were great vanguards within their lifetime and so often that that leads to sort of intense eccentric behavior and often great mental health problems and stuff Mm. because it's a lot and it's it's true of a lot of child actors who have this enormous fame and recognition and something extraordinary within them truly within them is harnessed and put on a big screen and then suddenly they're robbed of anonymity yeah and that doesn't mean that what you're witnessing in them isn't true or idiosyncratic in some way. But I do think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the the, the balance of being able to take most, if not all, of the steps ahead of you. And if you're suddenly whizzed forward 25 steps, the lack of those 25 steps catches up with you further down the line. And then I think that's true of any psychological journey. You know, Which I suppose is why some of them sort of, uh, I mean, it. I I mean, in a funny way, you're absolutely right that the truth is that a lot of child stars, they, they do founder. Yeah. Because of that, because they miss the steps. But the really astonishing thing is how many of them succeed. Yeah, yeah, So if yeah. you think of Anna Packin and Christian Bale and Liz Taylor yes. and, and um, you know, it, it is amazing how many of them do actually sustain a career. Yeah. And then as viewers, if they manage that, if they manage to get to where Foster has got to, yeah. where she just can walk into a place and and be yeah. all that knowledge of yeah. all her life. And also in her case, all her directing knowledge, everything she's learned yes. is sort of presented to you like a package. Yes. And you're watching on screen something that you don't even almost think of as a performance. You yeah. just think of, you know, she's always, you know, she always looks the same, yet the, the, the kind of range that she brings and the emotional range. It's also how she's chosen work. Yeah. I mean, that's a great skill yes. as well. And it's true of Annette Benning. Yes. You know, they haven't, they've chosen very carefully the projects that they've committed to and really committed. I mean, extraordinary performances. Yeah. 
But then if you're, if you're, again, if you've, you're lucky enough to be in a position where you can hand pick the work that you do, then there's something immensely clear uh, about how they then do it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's uh, because they they said yes, I can make that work. I yeah. can bring her to life. I yeah. can tell that story, yeah. and so you've already got a very uninterrupted, um, clean and exciting uh, process. Whatever it is that's in that presence, whatever it is that you're reading in that performance, yeah. it's it, they uh, put it all in behind. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's grown from that original yeah. thought, which is. Yes, I'd like to do, to do that. I will yeah, commit yeah. to that. Yeah. You know, if you and if you're only doing one film a year or one film every few years or whatever, then that's even more intense. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. And aren't we lucky to see it all? Yeah, I think she's wonderful. And not let's not forget Tallulah in Bugsy Malone. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, yes. I do, I personally was just uh, you know, I just that was my yeah. formative experience of her and I yeah. Jenny it was, Foster, it was yeah. brilliant. No, she is she's like part of our lives. Yes, absolutely. How lovely. Hooray for Jodie. Yeah. And with that, I think we'll draw to a close of, of this episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic. With me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And me, Sarah Crompton, the critic.